Hi, welcome to season four of the Aced It podcast, where we translate science into sense. So you can learn about research in the justice and health fields without having to access or read a lengthy journal article or report. I'm Danielle Rudes, your host, coming to you from Sam Houston State University in Texas, and I'll do most of the work for you. All you have to do is listen. Aced It is a cool and super helpful product brought to you by the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University in Virginia. For more information, check out our website, jcoinctc.org. Now, let's get started. When it comes to treating opioid use disorders with agonist medication in prison and jails, there does seem to be if not a complete turning of the tide, then indications of a possible turning of the tide. The National Sheriff's Association has supported the use of agonist medications in jails and published a best practices manual to help jails implement these programs. The U.S. Department of Justice recently announced that it would enforce the American Disabilities Act, which prohibits discrimination against people in recovery from opioid use disorder, noting specifically that the ADA protects people with an opioid use disorder from discrimination by prisons or jails. But still, the road to properly medicating all incarcerated individuals who need it remains fraught with obstacles. Talk to any correctional professional tasked with maintaining order in a secure facility, and they will likely raise concern about diversion. Diversion is when a person who's authorized to take a medication sells it or gives it away instead. In a prison or jail setting, it might also mean sneaking the medication back to their housing area to use it themselves at another time. It doesn't take a big imagination to consider all the ways this could be really bad inside a prison or jail. Now, perhaps in your mind, you've hearkened back to last week's episode when I mentioned that there has been a record number of opioid deaths experienced in this country in the past year and a growing number of drug overdoses happening within our prisons and jails. Drugs are rampant in our prisons and jails. Two studies conducted in incarceration settings found that incarcerated individuals believed that buprenorphine was widely available. But it's important to note that buprenorphine was not offered in those settings. So, it was available despite the fact that individuals were not being medicated, or perhaps it was available because individuals were not being medicated. Studies in the community have found that buprenorphine diversion most often occurs for self-treatment, especially when buprenorphine treatment is inaccessible. But the fact remains that we still know little about diversion within correctional settings that offer agonist medications. Dr. Liz Evans and colleagues set out to change that. As many other JCoin scholars have done, Dr. Evans and team were able to take advantage of a natural experiment in the state of Massachusetts when the state piloted mandatory delivery of all three medications in seven jails. The research team interviewed 61 staff members from these seven jails, including administrative, security, behavioral health, and clinical staff, using a combination of focus groups and one-on-one interviews. They found that diversion was a huge concern for staff prior to implementation, But study participants universally reported these fears to be unfounded once the medications began being offered. Diversion, when it happened, tended to be quite uncommon. And attempts to smuggle buprenorphine into jail decreased or stopped after the MOUD programs were implemented. 
As one participant noted, quote, if there's access to medication, why would somebody go to the lengths or pay those prices? It's actually a smart idea because if you cut down on the illicits, you can cut down on the violence. You can cut down on all sorts of negative behavior. And I thought it was two birds with one stone, unquote. Another explained that buprenorphine treatment reduced scenarios in which a person who wants to buy bup preys on another person to get it because any resident who needs the medication can freely receive it. This enabled staff to say, quote, wait a minute, you don't need to threaten or beat him to get his meds. You actually need them as well, unquote. After this program was implemented, staff came to better understand the reasons for diversion and how it occurred, which helped them develop plans to prevent reoccurrence. Reasons for diversion included being strongly armed by someone or patients hoarding it themselves for various reasons, like taking it throughout the day. Strong arming and personal hoarding was curtailed in several ways, including comprehensive, routine, but flexible dosing protocols. In addition to addressing the need to hoard, proper dosing protocols made diversion nearly impossible, as one participant noted, quote, residents weren't believing inmates who said they couldn't bring it back. But now you have six to 10 guys from one unit coming down here for Suboxone, and every one of them comes back saying, you can't do it, you can't bring it back, end quote. MOUD programs also educated patients on how the medication works and why it's important to take, as it is dosed and not hoard. While when patients understood that their attempts at self-dosing were likely making their problems worse or making them feel sicker, it helped reduce diversion. They also sought to provide a sufficient staff to patient ratio so that they could watch for diversion attempts and they used the same staff for this who could develop the knowledge and expertise to recognize and understand diversion attempts versus other actions that might be misconstrued as diversion attempts. The jails also conducted routine surveillance of housing units, phone calls, and urine testing. The way a diversion attempt is investigated was all so important because it's an opportunity to try and learn from the patient why they were diverting their medication. One thing that was still very much in flux at the jail was planning for the consequences when someone is caught diverting. Some have proposed a graduated sanctions approach, which reduces a patient's dosage and at the first attempt, and it removes them from the program at the second attempt. Dr. Evans and team leave us with several recommendations for sustaining buprenorphine treatment in jails. First, Acknowledge how the MOUD program has changed the narrative around diversion. Share with patients, staff, and the community what happened with diversion when the program was implemented. Second, use a collaborative, work-in-progress approach to detect and prevent diversion. Frame the MOUD program as an opportunity to test things out in short cycles using something like a plan-do-study-act process. Third, Harness the creativity of staff to refine existing diversion protocols and co-create new ones. Fourth, define terms and challenge assumptions. Be clear about the different types of diversion happening in a facility. Measure diversion and assess how often it happens, how and in what contexts, and with what impact. And finally, focus on creating therapeutic treatment environments. 
develop written policies on the consequences of diversion, and explore additional ways to put into practice principles of effective treatment for opioid use disorder in correctional settings. This study of a natural experiment helps shed light on a huge perceived barrier to providing agonist medications in secure settings. As the title of the article suggests, When people are properly medicated, diversion is an uncommon practice and is often preventable. While diversion is something all jails and prisons must confront, plan for, and address creatively, fears of diversion simply do not justify denying proper medical care. Let's hope the tide does, in fact, turn sooner rather than later. That wraps another episode of the Aced It podcast. We thank you for listening to Aced It, where we translate science into sense. Also, remember you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language and short knowledge bursts, which are 30-second overviews, for all the research we cover on this podcast on our website, www.gmuace.org. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here, and they will help you translate this research to your staff, friends, students, or colleagues. ACED is part of the NIDA-funded Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network, or JCOIN, through the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, housed at the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University. Tune in again for more science and more sense with ACED.